Good afternoon, good morning, and welcome to Two Guys Discussing Software. Myself, Tomás O'Leary, and my good colleague, Brendan Walsh. It remains two Irish guys discussing software. I know, I know. Yeah. We, we, we do this every week, and I, I, have to, I have to leave it out. I have to leave it out. Yeah. As I said, my name is Tomás O'Leary. Delighted to be here again, and uh, here with my good friend, Brendan Walsh. You hear the dulcet tones there. And we're on episode five uh, of our podcast. It feels... You know, nicer today. The sun is shining. We're here in Dublin, in Ireland. Yeah, I think we're getting used to these. Yeah, no, it's uh, we're excited. I'm excited. I'm really excited today, and we have we're know, in a new location as well. That's right. Yeah, not far from our last location, but it's bright and sunny, and we've got traffic going around the place here. Um, it's like the software world. It's just crazy <laughs> busy out there. We have a really good speaker later on, Danny Begg from Aberdeen Standard Investments, uh, who we know quite well. Yeah, I was with Danny last week at ITAM. Ah, in Twickenham? Yeah, very nice few days. Wisdom, actually, was called this, this time around. So. Ah, the ITAM Review Conference. Yeah, very yes, good, yes, yeah. yeah. It was very good, very topical. Excellent. And some of the topics for today's discussion were front and centre last week, so some from our other friends were also presenting on some topics of, of notes. So Good. So I don't know whether you've been watching our videos. Did you see the shark-proof one? <laughs> this is the topic from shark-proof forced upgrades. We'll have a chat about that later. But maybe before we do that, we'll just talk about some of the things we've been seeing. I, I talk about things that have been forced upon you. Did you see, and I know you did, <laughs> did you see 2,000 jobs going from IBM? 2,000 yeah. more jobs on top of the several hundred that they've let go in India. It's, it just never stops. Apparently, yeah. apparently the reason that they're letting them go is because they are worried about their individual performances. I just right. wonder what Ginny Romity is doing about her particular individual performance. <laughs> is she on the list, do you think? Yeah, unlikely. Yeah. Are some of the executives on the list, do you think? The SH1T oh. flows downhill, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. As my mother would say, she never said the word. SH1T. Mm. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's very true. Um, well, they're about to sell off their, their, some of their crown jewels to HCL, as we know. We did a webinar on that recently. It's been talked about a lot. Lots of people have been talking about it since, since actually IBM yeah. and yeah. nor HCL have been doing a lot of talking about it. On it. Uh, another few thousand employees being cooped over, I think is the word, over to HCL or, or just, being, yeah. just moving over with the acquisition. And it's really interesting that it's gone to HCL, who are a really good company, mm. and I like mm -hmm. them as, a, as an organization. But when you look and consider what Ginny Ramti said about Indian workers, I was quite surprised, mm. actually. She was critical of their, of their skills. It's kind of unusual right. then to sell it to an Indian company. I just thought all of that just yeah. is tasteful. It's quite tasteful, yeah. It's tasteful, yeah. yes, indeed. Yeah. It's a bit two-faced. Totally. So I was quite shocked at that and all of the people there let him go. Well, it had to be an interesting thing to see what happens mm. over the next six months with uh, HCL and IBM. Mm. But I mean, we've talked about that before, so we won't, we won't talk about that again. I did want to talk to you about a couple of things I've seen outside of IBM, just for a moment. All right. We love to talk about yeah. IBM, of course. Just it's for our, a moment, yeah. it's, it's our favourite topic. But looking at Oracle and Microsoft, you see they've got together in the cloud world, they have this kind of new venture they're kicking off right tell me more uh, that's as far as I know <laughs> that's all I know yeah, well keep it to yourself <laughs> that's fine well I don't know if anybody knows anything else I mean I'm not yeah. sure how these these kind of you know mega joint ventures work they tend to just yeah. be fresh air yeah. that's that's the problem until one of them sues the other <laughs> over some kind of IP infringement or uh, you know yes and I, I poor Larry Ellison <laughs> 
poor Larry Ellison. I'm, I'm, I'm actually just quite shocked and um, saddened by it. He hasn't four, had another wage cut, has he? No, he didn't. Four hundred and twenty million he lost on Tesla. Uh, yeah, four twenty wow. million. Okay, that's big. Yeah. Well, it's kind of it's a lot less than Elon Musk lost. He yeah, lost, I think, yeah. nearly five billion. So yeah, I think my son lost twenty euros using one of the trading platforms as well. So oh yeah, but he's oh, gonna right. buy it. He's gonna buy it back. <laughs> 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 he, he thinks when they move production to China, all right, that there'll be a lot, it'll be a lot more mass market, all and right. they'll actually have a bounce back. So he's yeah. confident actually, and <laughs> well, maybe Larry should pile back in again. Uh, well, tell him not to buy Microsoft because Microsoft and I passed the one trillion dollar mark. So I mm. don't know. I mean, I think it's a, a lot of gains fi- there. A small yeah. finger in the mouth. One trillion, <laughs> one trillion dollars. I don't know if there's much more. It can only go one way. I think perhaps. so. Yeah. 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 Who was the last guy to go one trillion? Was it Apple? And I don't know. They, they kind of fell back a little bit. So, yeah, I think it's kind of tricky to stay over one trillion. It's kind of that, that, like a number too far. It's a, it good, feels like. it's a good number, though. Yeah. yeah. And I see Oracle is in court again. again. Yeah, again. They kind of like the courtroom. Yeah. I think they um, have a lot of lawyers. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say they do. Uh, well, I heard allegedly. Mm. Uh, allegedly that there is a court case well it probably is not more than allegedly because it's in the press <laughs> but <laughs> just in case just in case, <laughs> just in case it's allegedly yeah. they have been court with a, a pension fund from Germany it's to do with you know f- financial creativity I think is I it think it's inflating their, yeah allegedly allegedly inflating their cloud revenue yeah. allegedly they yeah. have that been doing audits no. who does that no idea. No idea. No idea. Yeah. No idea. Have you been looking at the news? I've, well, I, you know, because there's two Irish guys in this one. Yeah. Speaking of the cloud, I know. Yeah, but I'd like to let you start, and then I'll jump in and take over. But uh, yeah, there's been a couple of other interesting things happening in the in the cloud world. I'll, I'll stick to my side of, of what I know, uh, which is some of the acquisitions. So some pretty big acquisitions recently. I don't know if they're seen as kind of competitive acquisitions. So one one company buys a piece of data visualization and analytics software, so the other one does too. But hot on the heels of the Google acquisition of Looker, which was a 2.6 billion acquisition of a data analytics and visualization piece of software which to kind of enhance their cloud offering. Salesforce spent, I think Danny knows this one, it's coming on the call shortly, 15.7 billion on Tableau, acquiring Tableau. Um, And I did a bit of research and the last valuation I could see on Tableau, or 15.7 billion, was 10.7 billion. So it seems like a massive overpayment for mm. something that was only recently valued at just short of, short of 10 million. So, but Tableau do have 86,000 customers and it just shows a bit of diversification again of, of some of these big cloud-based solution providers typically buying data visualization and analytics tools to, to enhance their cloud offerings. So, but still the IBM acquisition of Red Hat of 34 billion, mm. it still dwarfs those two by uh, by some amount. So. And Tableau's revenues are sub a billion, isn't that right? Yeah, something like that. So it's a 15 times revenue, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, but it's an all stock deal. I think it's there's no cash on the table. So I'm not sure how much cash the shareholders might've taken out of that one, but... Um, and Tableau is a competitor to Cognos. Cognos. So we yeah, see it a lot in do. customers yeah. moving to Tableau yeah, away from Cognos. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, I did actually ask a client recently that was migrating away from Cognos, where might they be going? And allegedly they said uh, mm. uh, the Tableau was one of those uh, applications. So, uh, yeah, it's been around for a long time. I think it was set up in about 2003. Mm. So so that's about a billion a year valuation. It's not wow. bad. Wow. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. something else. Okay, good. I want to bring it back to that forced revenue cancellation we were talking about earlier that uh, Oracle and, and I'll, on that note I'll introduce our guests 
Danny, have you joined us? Are you there with us now? Yeah. How was it going, Thomas? How are you, Brendan? Excellent. Good, Excellent. Good to talk to you, Danny. You're you're now taking on a new role in, uh, I believe, service protection manager at Aberdeen Standard Investment. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. I started here last week. Um, it's quite a bit of a different role. Admittedly, I, I do like the new job description because it kind of plays a lot into ITAM, you know, protecting the company and protecting the services that ITAM offers. A different type of name, but actually quite fitting. And where are we Where are we talking to you now? Whereabouts are you? Are you in, in Edinburgh? In Edinburgh now, yeah. One of my favourite cities in the world. It's just such a stunning city. What did you think of that? that? That case, we were talking about a bit of news there. The one I thought you might be interested in is the alleged one where I believe it's Vespin Arm of DZ Bank Group and also a... Firefighters Pension Fund from the US, I believe it is. They have been suing Oracle, allegedly, over deals that they've been cutting where they're allowing on, on audit, waiving fines and fees due to organizations who've been cut out on audits and getting them to actually buy cloud services, cloud solutions, and then counting them as revenue when in actual fact they may not be even been used. So it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because it's, I mean, the, the, the reason for the audit, the suing is is actually the, an inflation of their, their share price, which is potentially putting the pension funds at risk, I'd imagine. Uh, had you heard about this one? Yeah, so there's been a lot of talk, I think, in the industry about how Oracle are doing this. You know, I don't think anyone really believes that Oracle's position on their cloud platform is really as good as what they've been making out for a number of years. And using the, the typical audit of, yeah, look, these guys are probably getting paid more for actually selling the cloud services than they would do for their traditional on-prem services. So by actually settling an audit, by actually saying, well, if you buy all of these cloud services, we'll let all the on-prem, you know, just disappear. Now, the customer may not even ever use the on-cloud services, but if it solves that problem on site at that present moment in time, it's you know, commercially sound to go, ah, well, I get a deal out of this, they get a deal out of it, how they want to account for it is up to them. Yeah, you're talking about sales guys, is it? Sales reps in... Yeah, yeah, they yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's part of the drive with Azure and the Oracle link-up, you know, of that, um, you know, the, the infrastructure being able to be shared across both of those services. So, you know, if you want to have Oracle in Azure, then perfectly fine. You want to have Windows and Oracle, that's also perfectly fine, you know. That interoperability, maybe they've actually come to an a realization that if they need to compete with Amazon, then they need to get much more and much bigger, much quicker in order to be able to get that. Yeah, the 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 I mean the I know we dismissed it a little bit there the Oracle the Oracle Microsoft tie up. I I'd say it's a lot more to do with Oracle's uh, distaste for AWS. Less less so Microsoft. I don't see that there's a distaste there. Obviously they compete, but certainly there seems to be a a, a distaste whenever you hear. Any discourse from Larry Ellison about, about, about AWS, he has a he has a bit of a problem there. So I suspect that's where he's coming from. Have you seen you talk a bit about sales reps pushing cloud offerings? Have you seen that with the likes of IBM? Have they done something in your experience in the past? Although they? IBM have the software, so they have their cloud offering. Um, and, you know, I've used a bit of stuff uh, like before, and you get an awful lot of alerts saying this service is offline. That one's going to be. I have no idea on how IBM are pushing that. I think that with the acquisition that they did uh, recently, uh, I think all of their forces are going to go into how they're actually going to merge that in with their business without breaking it, because, you know, IBM has had their the reputation previously of buying companies that are very good and then just not doing anything with them or putting them into some kind of holding pattern while they try and amalgamate them, at which point by the time that that service comes back out to the customers, it's behind the bill, behind the curve. 
you know what I mean? So, you know, if they get that yeah. right, they might actually do quite well. But I think they're kind of just kind of going, well, maybe we can't do our own service, but buying this one here, Red Hat, is actually going to do everything we need for us. Have you seen, though, you know, from a sales point of view, I've come across these dual entitlement licenses where it seems to be that, you know, you've got your on-prem, whatever it might be, Domino server and your Cal licenses, and you can you can take an option for a, for a dual entitlement license. So you're still on-prem, but it's, from what I hear, allegedly, the, the dual entitlement portion is actually, it would be captured in the, in the, in the financial statements as cloud revenue because, it's, because the option is there even though the client necessarily hasn't taken up the option. And at the end of the dual entitlement period, you have to decide, and from what I can gather, most people decide to stay on-prem and don't actually move to the cloud and therefore it's, it's kind of false cloud revenue. Uh, have you heard of, have you seen much of that? Yeah, no. So I haven't seen any of, of that, there, but in, it's not other realms of possibility that they do. I mean, since you can build most of the IBM stuff in the cloud if you wanted to anyhow, as long as you've got your, your ILMT server out there to, to be able to record what it's been actually run on, you know, can you actually count everything that's been in the cloud, whether you're running on-prem or not? Um, and I don't know what, um, how the, the all of these larger tier one vendors are actually doing their accounting, especially with cloud being so prevalent and what people are actually wanting to get out of it. It, it seems that there's a lot of different ways of thinking on how to account and finance these things. So, yeah, tricks in the accounting trade that could account for anything as cloud if you wanted to. So I suppose it's whatever the KPI yeah. is for the month, you know? Yeah. What does a company do if they have, you know, a, a, an application running on, you know, multiple layers of software and they just are happy with it? You know, this, hmm. bring it back to the, the some of these things that these forced upgrades, a topic we want to talk about a little bit, is, you know, what do they do? You know, when, when, the, when the organization, or many, maybe there's multiple layers, so it's not just, say, IBM, it could be, you know, it could be Linux, it could be an operating environment, it could be, so they have to move to a higher version, even though, actually, they're perfectly happy. But we feel, we, could, we, we experience this as consumers with our, with our phones now. Mm. We're almost forced to go to a higher level of operating system, even though we don't want to necessarily, or we're almost forced to buy a new phone. I mean, I have an iPhone 6. I'm very happy with it. Yeah. The only thing I'm disappointed in is well, I can't charge it on those, those mobile, those... Yeah, the, the, the cordless uh, chargers. Cordless yeah. chargers. But nobody's forcing you to upgrade, you know. I mean, it's an, is, it not an, is it not an option? Yeah. I think people feel like they're being forced. Maybe, maybe. Or don't know that they have an option. Yeah. There's a bit of both there, guys, to be honest with you. I mean, look, we all know that manufacturers of software, and it's, this goes across all vendors. I don't think it makes any difference, you know, what name we end up putting it under. They all do exactly the same. They need to push their product forward. But in order to push their product forward, the, the bit of functionality that you actually originally bought in it, you know, may allow you to transform A into transform B. Uh, and, and that's what it does. And version one does it, and so does version 10. But version 10 also allows you to do 50 other things. You may not want any of those other things, but you're still, <laughs> because you're still doing what it did in version one. It gets down to when it becomes obsolescence. You know, mm. when they say we're no longer supporting it, and you as a company, such as, you know, a lot of financial organizations have problems with running obsolescent software, because, of course, even the FCA and the Bank of England say that you shouldn't really run obsolescent software. 
And so they, they kind of feel that they're being forced to upgrade, even from a regulatory point of view, rather than um, a, a actual need point of view, because it still does exactly the same job as it does before. You know, I think a lot of, there's an awful lot of scare tactics in relation to saying, well, you know, you won't get security updates because we don't support the product anymore, so there could be vulnerability flaws in it. And I kind of go, well, yeah. Look, no one, no one writes code anymore to go and exploit version 3.1 of Windows. Do you know what I mean? But it's obsolescent, yeah. and it still does the job that it wanted to do originally. In fact, you know, first versions of Word still write a letter, but no one writes any code to try and exploit any exploits in it. So you kind of have to think, is it really needed? So I think some people feel they are being forced, and not just by the vendors, but by other, uh, you know, other regulatory bodies in order to try and keep up with things. Um, and, and some people feel that, you know, they need to be on the latest version because that's the best practice. You know, I, I don't like to be forced into things. I don't think most architects like to be forced into actually upgrading software because it's additional work for no additional benefit to the company, no additional business value. Not only that, it's expensive. Every single time you go and change one thing, what's the knock-on effect? You know, do I need to now upgrade another piece of software from version 4 to version 6, even though version 4 is still in support and not a bit need to, but I've got to because of this other version I'm having to move. Do you know what I mean? You end up with this whole program of work just to move from one version to the next version. So what you end up getting is a lot of companies will go from version 5 to version 6, even though the latest version is version 11. Version 6 goes out of support in six months' time. And then they're running to try and get from version six to version seven because they can't make the big jumps in in upgrades because of the knock-on effects of that software on all other parts of the organisation. And if they upgraded it so quickly, they wouldn't be able to, to to actually be able to do business. Now, I know vendors will come back and say, "Well, if you kept up with the latest version all the time, then this wouldn't be an issue." But we all know that if the latest versions are actually the more vulnerable versions because if you if you it hasn't had that explicit set of testing. You know, you haven't got hundreds of thousands of people using it. Do you know what I mean? Version 10 of Windows is getting better because, of course, millions of more people are using it. But right at the very beginning, if you remember, I think there were loads of security vulnerabilities. So keeping up with the latest version should actually be much more risky for you as an organization than actually having a version yeah. that's slightly older. So you're caught in this, you know, in this to and fro world. How do I keep up today in order to avoid obsolescence? Uh, how do I make sure that I don't go too far ahead so that I actually end up with more security problems rather than having all the patches? Do you know what I mean? I mean, this is, it, it, these are only my opinions. Yeah? It's not of ASI. Uh, I've only been here two weeks. But uh, yeah. you get that general feeling throughout the business. So, I mean, throughout yeah. the industry. And in, and in your opinion, again, do you, do you feel that, you know, the vendors, you know, put pressure on you? Yeah. I, I, I raise a call with a, piece of, uh, with a vendor and I say, I'm on version 10. And the first thing they're going to say is move to version 11. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's their first point of call on anything. Is or If you upgrade or fix that problem, do you know what I've upgraded loads of software? And very rarely does that actually end up fixing the problem that I originally called up for. But I've now spent a ton of money upgrading yep. it to the latest version. And now I still have exactly the same problem. Isn't that a very simplistic response yeah. from a help desk? Because, I mean, you know, an upgrade takes time. You've got to go through change control. You've got to do an impact assessment. You've got to do a risk assessment. You probably have to stand up a project team. You've got to get budget for the project. So really, it's just actually telling you to upgrade is a nonsense because it's a process that takes well, time. I can, someone, I can pay someone from Office Angels to go and make those types of decisions and tell customers to upgrade to the latest version. 
it's not really what I paid maintenance for, you know, and the millions of pounds I end up paying for it, you know. Maintenance and software support and updates is what I've actually invested in when I've gone and paid the vendor. A little bit more support in relation to that would be much more useful. So it, it sounds to me, I mean, and I think I see this all the time, what started out as something very positive in the industry, as in you, it was in, you were encouraged to upgrade and update, and they were good things because you were getting something new as old as being turned completely on its head now it's seen as almost a negative yeah mm. i think we'd agree instead of being narrow and deep yeah i was just going to say instead of being narrow and deep which is what you want you know i bought this software to do this one particular thing and they have more and more functionality for that one different thing so it becomes narrow and deep now software tends to be broad and, and shallow do you know what i mean so they're actually adding functionality at the side which isn't actually the bit of functionality you wanted so i think more software is becoming much broader rather than actually saying that it's core remit and being narrow and deep, if you know what I mean. Yeah. You know what I mean. I'd say you're going to have your work cut out where you're going to, like all companies, and I really wish you the best of luck at, at Aberdeen Standard Investments and in Edinburgh. Thanks very much. Thank you for joining us. I think we're yeah, that I think was, we're done for time. Yeah, that was some great insights, Danny. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Very thought-provoking as ever. And we look forward to speaking to <laughs> everybody in a few weeks' time. Yeah.